want to draw your attention just a bit to the altar this morning. I'm sure you can see from wherever you are that it's gorgeous, but there's even more to see if you want to take a look up close, and it would be worth your while to do so after the service if you're interested. Would you pray with me? God of grace, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. We are focused on Jesus this month. In the past couple of weeks, we have talked about Jesus as a teacher of alternative wisdom. Jesus had a way of looking at things that turned conventional wisdom on its head, that challenged the status quo. We have talked about Jesus as a social prophet. As a prophet, Jesus took a good, hard look at the world around him, at his society and culture. He saw the barriers that kept people segregated by social categories like religion and ethnic groups and gender. And he offered alternatives, ways to live that broke down the barriers that kept people separated. All the aspects of Jesus I'm highlighting in this sermon series are heavily influenced by the writings of Marcus Borg. Marcus Borg also talks about Jesus as a movement founder. That's really our topic for next week, but I'm going to touch on it a bit this morning because today we commemorate the life of another movement leader. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was, of course, a leader in the American Civil Rights Movement. He was also a Christian who was so deeply faithful to the Jesus movement. People were drawn to what Jesus had to offer in Jesus' own lifetime, enough to perhaps begin a small movement. The alternative wisdom Jesus had to offer, that new way of looking at things, was very attractive to certain people, and they became his followers. The social and political commentary Jesus offered and the alternatives he offered to the way things were were very attractive to some people. Jesus developed a certain following, which was probably pretty small. But beyond the years of Jesus' human life, the continual presence of Christ has spawned a full-fledged movement, a movement that would eventually become a religion, But before it was a religion, it was a movement of people who were drawn to the vision that Jesus offered, a vision of alternative wisdom and a society marked by compassion and inclusiveness. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was a man whose own movement leadership was so very faithful to the Jesus movement. Marion Wright Edelman is the director of the Children's Defense Fund, She wrote about Dr. King just this week, and her article highlights some of the ways that Dr. King was faithful to the alternative wisdom Jesus offered. Conventional wisdom tells us that we want to be great, to be important, to strive to be leaders. And Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be your servant, and the first shall be last. Dr. King picks up this theme in his sermon, The Drum Major Instinct. Here's a bit of what Dr. King said. If you want to be important, wonderful. 
If you want to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's a new definition of greatness. And this morning, the thing that I like about it, by giving that definition of greatness, it means that everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics in physics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. Marian Wright Edelman goes on to say, Dr. King was explaining that we all start out with the ingrained instinct to be the drum major. Everyone wants to be important, to be first, to lead the parade. Watch a group of children try to form a line, and right away you'll see this instinct in action. But Dr. King said, too many people never outgrow this instinct. And by constantly struggling to be the most powerful or famous or wealthiest or best educated, we forget one of the gospels and life's largest truths. The real path to greatness is through service. In addition to being faithful to the alternative worldview that Jesus invites, Dr. King could be called a prophet, in line with the kind of prophet Jesus was. Last year, Bill Moyers wrote about Dr. King as a prophet. Moyers said, You may think you know about Martin Luther King Jr., but there is much about the man and his message we have conveniently forgotten. He was a prophet, like Amos, Isaiah, and Jeremiah of old calling kings and plutocrats to account, speaking truth to power. This is exactly the way we talk about Jesus as a prophet, following in the footsteps of the prophets of the Hebrew Bible, like Amos or Jeremiah, calling out injustice. Moyers is specifically referring to the ways King spoke about economic inequality, King gave a speech at Stanford in 1967 where he talked about there being two Americas, essentially an America of the haves and one of the have-nots. This is the kind of social commentary we find in the prophets of the Hebrew Bible. It is the kind of social commentary we hear from Jesus. Dr. King had a clear sense of his own call, a clear sense of the work and ministry God called him to. And King's call was in line with the path laid out by Jesus. He talks a bit about his call in his sermon, Guidelines for a Constructive Church. God has called me to deliver those that are in captivity, he says. No member of Ebenezer Baptist Church called me to the ministry. You called me to Ebenezer, And you may turn me out of here, but you can't turn me out of the ministry because I got my guidelines and my anointment from God Almighty. 
and God has called me to deliver those that are in captivity. Dr. King then expands beyond his own sense of call to address what the church is called to be and do. His words are a charge to those of us who call ourselves Christians today, a charge to those of us in the church. Dr. King says, We who are followers of Jesus Christ, and we who must keep his church going and keep it alive, also have certain basic guidelines to follow. Somewhere behind the dim mist of eternity, God set forth his guidelines. And through his prophets, and above all, through his son, Jesus Christ, God said that there are some things that my church must do. There are some guidelines that my church must follow. The guidelines are clearly set forth for us in some words uttered by our Lord and Master as he went in the temple one day, and he went back to Isaiah and quoted from him. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are oppressed, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Dr. King goes on to talk about what this is, this acceptable year of the Lord. And then the church, he says, if it is true to its guidelines, must preach the acceptable year of the Lord. You know the acceptable year of the Lord is the year that is acceptable to God because it fulfills the demands of God's kingdom. Some people reading this passage say that it's talking about some period beyond history. But I say to you this morning that the acceptable year of the Lord can be this year, and the church is called to preach it. The acceptable year of the Lord is any year when people decide to do right. The acceptable year of the Lord is that year when people will keep their theology abreast with their technology. The acceptable year of the Lord is that year when people will keep the ends for which they live abreast with the means by which they live. The acceptable year of the Lord is that year when all of the leaders of the world will sit down at the conference table and realize that unless mankind puts an end to war, war will put an end to mankind. The acceptable year of the Lord is that year when we will beat our swords into plowshares, our spears into pruning hooks, and nations will not rise up against nations. Neither will they study war anymore. The acceptable year of the Lord is that year when we will allow justice to roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. The acceptable year of the Lord is that year when we will send to Congress and to state houses of our nation men who will do justly, who will love mercy, and who will walk humbly with their God. These are our guidelines, and if we only follow the guidelines, we will be ready for God's kingdom. We will be doing what God's church is called to do. 
We won't be a little social club. We won't be a little entertainment center. But we'll be about the serious business of bringing God's kingdom to earth. It seems that I can hear the God of the universe smiling and speaking to this church, saying, You are a great church because I was hungry and you fed me. You are a great church because I was naked and you clothed me. You are a great church because I was sick and you visited me. You are a great church because I was in prison and you gave me consolation by visiting me. And this is the church that is going to save this world. All of that is from his sermon guidelines for a constructive church, and I imagine many of you have heard at least parts of that before. Part of my motivation for devoting five weeks to sermons on Jesus is a desire for each one of us to know just who Jesus is to us to be able to say why we call ourselves Christians or followers of Jesus. And my hope is that in adopting the name Christian, in choosing to follow the path Jesus laid out before us, we here will do this in the spirit of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. This sermon, Guidelines for a Constructive Church, is as relevant for us today as it was for those who heard it in 1966. It casts a vision and offers guidance for what the church, as church, is called to be and do. Marion Wright Edelman says that in his last speech in Memphis, the night before he was assassinated, Dr. King gave us our marching orders. He said, I'm always happy to see a relevant ministry. It's all right to talk about white robes over yonder in all of its symbolism, but ultimately, people want some clothes and some shoes to wear down here. It's all right to talk about streets flowing with milk and honey, but God has commanded us to be concerned about the slums down here and his children who can't eat three square meals a day. It's all right to talk about the new Jerusalem, but one day God's preacher must talk about the new New York, the new Atlanta, the new Philadelphia, the new Los Angeles, the new Memphis, Tennessee. This is what we have to do. His mandate was not just to preachers, but to all of God's people. That's all of us. If Christians want to talk about the new Jerusalem, we must also talk about the new Ferguson and about the new Davis. Racial inequality is alive and well in America today, and I wish every one of you could have been here to hear our speaker between services. Events of the past year and ongoing events have shined a spotlight once again on a form of injustice that has not gone away. And if we are going to call ourselves Christian, if we are going to call ourselves church, if we are going to claim to be following in the path established by Jesus Christ, then we must be a part of the movement for civil rights today. We must attend carefully 
to events in Ferguson and New York and every place where there is injustice, we must attend to Davis, which is the place where we are most able to make a difference. Because the ongoing movements for civil rights today are as faithful to the vision of Jesus Christ as Dr. King's work was in his day. We are called to be a part of it. Amen.